Welcome to another episode of Living an Altered Life. This week, we're adding something new to the mix, and this is our first interview on this podcast. For my first interview, I really wanted to do an interview with somebody who means a lot to me and who has taught me a lot about the ultra-running life and, most importantly, the ultra-running community. So I am so excited to be bringing you John LaCroix, the owner and race director of the Human Potential Running Series based out of Colorado. I am sure you guys are going to love this as much as I loved doing it. So here you go. Listen up for John LaCroix. Well, I'm excited to be joined by the owner and race director of the Human Potential Running Series, John LaCroix. Welcome, John. It's good to have you on. Oh, thanks for having me, Mike. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I, I really appreciate you uh, allowing me to be on your show. You got it. You got it. You'll, you'll be the first ever guest on Living an Ultra Life podcast. So you got to start somewhere. <laughs> That's right. Everybody's got to start someplace. So we'll start with the best. How's that sound? <laughs> cool. So, John, you've been in the ultra running scene for a long time. When did you first get started with ultra running? Uh, I ran my first ultra marathon in 2005. Okay. So you were in your 20s? I was, I was a 23 year old. Uh, yeah, I was, I was one of the youngest ultra marathon runners in the United States at the time. Uh, it was really unheard of, uh, for there to be somebody that young running such long distances. It was, it was primarily known as a a sport for older folks. Yep. Yeah. Folks my age, right? Yeah. (laughs) So what was your first ultra marathon? Uh, my first ultra was well, the first time I ran an ultra distance or my first official Your first race? official race. It was the Dam Wakely Dam Ultra in upstate New York, 32.6 miles point to point without an aid station. Oh, my gosh. So it was all self-supported. That's right. Yeah. You you they said go and you didn't see another human until the end. And those <laughs> that's a pretty beastly area to run. That's not like Flatlanderville. No, it was, it was not. It was, uh, it was pretty rugged, pretty wild. Uh, I loved it. I, I thought it was incredible. Um, I actually went back and ran the same race the next year. Cool. Um, I haven't been back since, but you know, it, it's one of those races where they only allow like 35 runners in or something like that. Okay. And so every year, the first people that get to register are the veterans. So once you finished one time you always got like the first invitation to register every year. And so there is a very small handful of Wakely Dam runners out there in the world. Uh, and every time that I run into a- another one of them, it ends up being like, a, like a homecoming kind of a thing. Right. You yeah. Wakely? Yeah. Like, Oh, we're Wakely runners. Great. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. So you went from there and then you started race directing at a pretty young age too right while you were still on the east coast correct i did yeah i i directed the first 200 mile ultra marathon in the world uh in 2008 up in vermont okay and before i put that on i was a what i what i consider to be a a race director apprentice uh which meant that i i kind of worked beneath a race director his name is andy weinberg and Andy taught me everything I know about race directing. I, I learned from Andy. 
um, just by watching and doing. Um, so it, it became, I helped out with this race series called peak races up in Vermont and, uh, whatever, whatever they needed done. That's, that's what I did. And, and I learned literally every aspect of ultra marathon running and race directing, uh, in that way. That's amazing. And so you were working a regular job and this was sort of your side gig for lack of a better term, right? Yeah. I mean, it was freebie work for me. I mean, I, I, at the time was a college student back in college for the third time. <laughs> <laughs> there's, uh, there's obviously a story behind that. <laughs> yeah. There's always a story. Um, I was working on my bachelor degree at the university of New Hampshire and I, I ended up getting my degree in outdoor education with uh, concentration areas in recreation management and hospitality management. Um, so, so all of this work, that, that I did in, in obtaining a degree actually transfers really well into, into race directing. But, you know, I, I worked part-time at like an East coast version of REI. Um, and, and I, ultra marathon running was my hobby. And so pretty much like the, the race director apprentice thing and race directing was strictly volunteer. Okay. Yeah. So and, I, and I, how I, long did you do that for? Oh man, I helped them out, uh, in 2000. Well, we came up with the ideas in 2006. I helped them in 2007, 2008 and 2009. And then believe it or not, the, the Spartan races were born out of that race series. Out of uh, peak race series is where the Spartan came from. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we, wow. um, I, I had, I had, um, of course, if you ask certain people how it all got started, everybody has a different story. Um, but but my story is that I, I sent these guys an email talking about this event up in England called the Tough Guy Challenge. And I had a video that I found on ESPN.com and I shared it with them and was like, we've got to do this. This isn't being done in the US. We're the guys that can do it. You know, Joe, who is our financer, guy's a billionaire. It's like, you got all the money, you got all the lawyers, you have all the land, like we could totally do this. And so we, we ended up creating this event called the death race. And it's still going on uh, to this day up in Pittsfield, Vermont. It's, it's the Spartan death race. Uh, and, and that event is what sparked and spawned the Spartan races. Um, so I'm, I'm basically ground floor of Spartan racing um, came out of an email that I wrote to a really rich guy. <laughs> that is amazing. I didn't know that. So, yeah. wow. So then when did you make the migration out to heaven, God's land in out West? Yeah. So that was um, 2011. I graduated uh, and it was like 30 hours after getting my bachelor's degree. I was in a U-Haul driving West and uh, I moved out to Colorado to become a professional guide. Actually, I worked uh, for a guide business for uh, the first couple of years out here, taking people rock climbing and hiking and snowshoeing and mountain biking and whitewater rafting and whatever else. Okay. Um, and I ended up becoming the operations director for the company. I worked directly with a lot of land managers uh, with permitting and permissions. Uh, and then I, I kind of took over the corporate adventure training aspect of that business and, and started doing uh, corporate team building events for a lot of fortune 500 and fortune 100 companies that came out to the front range. Um, and, and I really loved it. 
that idea of, of using the outdoors as a way to help people transform their lives or their work life. Uh, but things didn't work out at the, the guide company. And, and eventually I, I found my way to starting my own business. And, that, and that's when the Human Potential Running Series was born in 2014. 2014. So you continued to run ultra marathons while you, when you made the transition out to Colorado, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. And, and of course your, your favorite race of all was the Bighorn mountain scenic run, right? (laughs) Actually, that is the most gorgeous hundred mile race I've ever run in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree, but that's just simply because Sheridan, Wyoming is, you know, what I consider my, my home and my forever home, even though I'm now in Virginia beach, but yeah. So you've run that and you did it twice, correct? Yeah. I have a DNF at Bighorn and I have a finish. That's right. Everybody has a DNF at Bighorn. If you're, yeah. if you're anybody, you've got a DNF at Bighorn. Yeah. So, you learn, you learn a lot through those experiences. Yes, you do. I remember I ran my first human potential running series race in 2018, the Tommy knocker. That was a lot of fun. I love that concept going into the aid station, picking a color ball out of the bucket and hoping to God it wasn't yellow. And seeming like every time I picked a ball out of the bucket, it was yellow was just the most amazing race. You said something there because I, 2017 was probably one of my worst years running. I ran six ultra marathons that year and I DNF'd at five of them. And you said something to me, and I don't know if you'll remember this, but I introduced myself to you at the beginning of the race that I'd come down from Sheridan, Wyoming. And I think I said something about, I'm just, I'm just hoping just to finish this thing. Cause I haven't finished a race in a long time. And you said something about DNF that forever changed the way I look at it. Do you remember that? Uh, it has to have been did nothing fatal. Exactly. And then you climbed up on the rock and told everybody to shut up and you gave one of your world famous speeches. And it was probably the thing that I loved about ultramarathons. And I knew maybe I had met somebody that had kind of a kindred spirit because you said you came out, you signed up for this race and you are now responsible for you. It was that kind of theme that really attracted me because you don't hear a lot of people just being really frank and honest and open like that at ultra marathons. It doesn't always go over well, Mike. Yeah, it doesn't. And, (laughs) but you know, that's the kind of thing I think human potential running series is well known for is that when you go out to a race, you're getting an authentic experience. Can you kind of talk about how you decided to do the human potential running series races and how you wanted to make them different? Yeah. I, I'm what a great question. And thank you for asking. You know, I, I I hate to say this because it it tends to, a lot of things I say tend to sometimes get controversial and I really don't know why that is because I hate that word controversial, such a negative word. And I really wish people could could get away from from being that dramatic with somebody who just has a different point of view of you, right? Yep. I mean, it's it doesn't have to be a controversial point of view. It's just a different point of view. It's just different. One of the things that I very much noticed is that ultra marathon running on the eastern side of the United States is a very different thing 
than it is here in the Western side of the United States, if you will. Um, out East ultra marathon running is a lot more laid back. It's a lot more of a family atmosphere, a lot more like a family reunion, a party. And I always felt like the gathering, the being together was far more important than the race. Out West, there are pockets of that where there's some organizations out West that, that really get into that, really, really dive into that community aspect and, and kind of hold on to that and cherish that. But for the most part in the West, the race matters an awful lot and, and no more than it does in Colorado anywhere else. Like Colorado is the place where the race seems to just matter more than anything. People just really into the, the competition, the first, second, third. And in fact, when I, when I first moved to Colorado and started running with people here, one of the things that, that I noticed that I didn't like was how, you know, I'd go out on these group runs or these training runs with people. And I always felt like in my training runs with people in these long runs that I was doing that I was competing with people. And they're just like, we're just, you know, whatever happened to just running, <laughs> like, why aren't we just running together and enjoying running together? Why do I feel like I have to freaking chase every single person up and down these trails? Like, and it's not that they're, I'm not talking about them being faster than me or me being slower than them. I mean, legit, it was as if we were racing on these runs and, and we couldn't talk and we couldn't commune because the race was more important. And so really I felt like I saw an opportunity uh, here in Colorado to build a race series that focused on the person first and the community first and to hell with the race. And man, just doing that, even to this day, Mike, I'm eight years in now, this is my eighth year. And I still get so much vitriol from people that are like, what do you mean you don't care about the race? If you don't care about the race, then what's the point? Yep. And it's like, well, well, how many people do you think are actually out there and, and have a chance at even winning the race or being in the top three? It's, it's a really very small percentage. And so if you think that all of these people are out here running with us, you're in the minority if you care about the race. Most of these people are here to do good work on themselves. And just adventure and be together in the outdoors and be supported on these long adventures that they wouldn't do otherwise. That is the point. The race is not the point. And so that, that really was a huge catalyst for me to build this race series. And, and it also was from the encouragement of a group of friends as well, I should add. But, but the other part was, you know, at, at the time, all the races here in Colorado were in like the easier places to run. And so I was like, we've got all these mountains right here and we're not using them for races. Like, right. <laughs> what are we doing? So, uh, it was pretty easy for me to be like, well, let's figure out where in the mountains in this state we can race and let's put on some hard races for people. And, and so it's, it's, you know, it's stripping the, the race away from what matters and it's facing and overcoming adversity is what does matter. And so we utilize that idea of adversity to, to be the tool to help you grow through running in our events. And it is very different. And you attract a different crowd. I think one of the things 
and I've done three of your races and all three races I ran with multiple people from, I mean, different ages from, you know, my age in the mid to upper fifties, all the way down to 20 year olds that were just excited to be out there pushing themselves to do things that were beyond what they thought they were capable of doing. And I think that's the thing that most attracts me to ultra running is I think a lot of people are looking for that avenue to what am I really capable of? You know, I, I know that any given day I'm capable of going out and running a marathon. Mm -hmm. When you step that up to a hundred miler, I know that now I'm pushing my body to do something. I don't know that I'm capable of, but I'm going to push myself to get there. I think there's a thirst in a lot of people for that. And I think what you're doing with your races is you're providing an outlet for people to see you know what, can I run 32 miles? That's what I see in the Human Potential Running Series. So if you could take and look at the ultra running community and wave a magic wand over the ultra running community, what would be the one thing that you would like to see us do better? Not different, because my whole focus in life right now is I want to create a better version of me. And what I want to do, the reason I'm creating Living an Ultra Life, is I want to encourage other people that, you know what, we haven't yet discovered what the best version of ourselves is yet. Let's go in this thing together, not be so judgy and so competitive that we push people out of discovering what that best version of them is. But if you could take and, and you've race directed how many races, I think it's well over, is it over 300 races now? Oh boy. No, no. Um, I am about to direct my 60th event. And I think between those 60 events, I've put on maybe 130. Okay. 130. Okay. So races, man, 300. <laughs> okay well Thank you'll get you. to 300 soon don't worry I by will. the time you're my age you'll you'll have 300 how's that sound yeah i i have directed more races than anybody in the state of colorado's history wow and i i throw that out there and some people really you've directed more races than ken kluber uh the, he's the old race director of the leadville 100 okay and it's like oh well yeah ken's only had leadville 100 the marathon in half, and then the Silver Rush 50. And if you take all the years he did all those, yeah, I've, I've surpassed that. And anyway, it's, it's not to toot my horn or put a feather in my cap. It, it's just the, like, we do that in life, you know, at, at your job, you have a resume, right? You put things on your resume. Well, that's on my resume. Cool. Um, and, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out like who has directed the most races in ultra running history. Wow. Uh, cause, cause I want, I want to be that person. Um, I'll bet you, I'll bet you it's somebody in Europe, man. They do a lot of races over there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking more stateside. Um, okay. You know, who, who is it? Like a lot of people would say, oh, well it's Jamil Curry and it's, uh, he's the owner of Aravipa down in Arizona, but Jamil doesn't race direct. He has four or five people who race direct for him. He's a business owner. Right. And so that makes it even more difficult for me to figure out who is that person. But either way, my goal is to, to race direct long enough and put enough events on that 
that I get to be the guy that (laughs) I want to be the expert. And so, um, you know, this is a great question. Um, you know, and, and what a hard answer. There's so many things that I could answer this with, but, but I think that my honest answer to your question, Mike, which, which if I'm hearing again, was if there's one thing that I would improve about the sport of ultra marathon running, not, not, not change, but make better. Yes. What would it be? Again, it's a, it's a hard question to answer, but the answer would be a, a, a way for us to make this sport for everybody. And, and, and that, and what I mean is we need to stop saying that ultra running is it's, well, it is for everyone. No, but like, really, we need to find ways to make this sport inclusive, equitable, and accessible for all people, regardless of their gender, their gender identity, uh, their sexual preferences, their religious beliefs, their political, whatever, right? Like a, yeah. read a non-discrimination clause. We need to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and we also need to continue to find ways to, to host these events without outpricing people. Here in Colorado, the most expensive 100 miler is $450 to enter. And, and that's how much the Western States 100 costs. Now, Western States has been an event since the early 80s. And so it would make sense to me that, oh, all right, well, that's the granddaddy, right? That's, that's the oldest 100 miler in the country. I'll pay 450 to run that. But when there's a race that's five years old, charging 450, and I know for a fact it does not cost that much money to, to put on a race. It just, I mean, even if you are, are limited to 180 runners, let's say it, it still does not cost that much money. And, and so I, I start getting into this world where I see something's going on either, either this race director is fiscally irresponsible um, or they're lying to runners or they're greedy. Um, or they just really don't know what they're doing. <laughs> I don't know. Right. I don't know what it is. Cause I've never, I've never lost money on a race ever, and I've never charged that kind of money. Uh, and, and my races typically have 180 people in it. And, and so it, it comes down to like, how is it that I can put on these quality events at this price tag for that number of people, but you're telling all of us that you got to charge four times as much. Um, and so we're, we're getting into an accessibility problem. How many people can afford a $450 entry fee? And, and how many people who are not straight white men can't afford that? Yep. Well, that's a great point. And, and when you ask that question and, and I say, how many people who are not straight white men can afford that entry fee? The, you know, the man, the hackles get up on some, some backs, <laughs> you know, just like, what are you implying? Are you implying that straight? No, I mean, that's the world we live in. Straight white men make the most money. They can afford it. What if you're a Hispanic from downtown Denver and you're still making an hourly wage, which is what most people are making in the world. There's a lot of salaried people out there, but they're not the only ones that want to do this. And so we got to find ways to, to be more inclusive of people, regardless of their socioeconomic situation. Yep. I'd love to create a ultra marathon scholarship fund 
where you could help those who are from less affluent backgrounds to be able to get into the sport that I love. It's, it's, uh, it's my ultra running is my mental break. I would love to be able to create some type of ultra marathon scholarship fund where you could help scholarship people into ultra marathons. I think that would be amazing and just expose them to the community and the inclusivity of the community once you get out on the trails. Because would you agree that once you tow a start line and you start the conga line out on a trail, you know that you're about to go enjoy some really difficult stuff for the next eight to 36 hours, pretty much race, income, gender, gender identity, all that stuff really kind of goes out the window, right? Because you're all going for the same thing, which is to at some point see those letters, which are just amazing, the F-I-N-I-S-H, and you know you're going to cross that thing and it's going to be an amazing thing. So out there, the thing I love about the Ultra Running community is it doesn't matter who you are. If I'm on the trail with you, we're most likely going to talk and we're going to go through the Suffer Cave together. And I would love to be able to see more people from different backgrounds be able to enjoy what we enjoy. Mike, just just a second, if I can. Yeah. What what intrigues me about what you just said is that the onus is on you and the other runners to help by creating this scholarship, right? Right. So I know you live in Virginia now. Um, the Virginia Happy Trails Running Club I don't know if they still have it, but years ago they had this scholarship program where you could write the race and ask for a comp race entry, a free race entry to run in their event. And wow. then they, they would pick somebody. I don't know if they picked more than one somebody or not, but I got picked one year to, to run their race for free. And, and wow. I did. I ran Massanutten for free. But I don't believe that it's up to you and the other runners to create any kind of scholarship to make sure that the race directors get their money. Okay. I, I really believe that it's up to the race directors to, to think deeper about their ethical and moral dilemma, I guess, if you will. Okay. What's a free entry? Right. Right. Like, yeah. I'll tell you, this is the second year now that I'm hosting the Sangre de Cristo 200 mile. Yeah. And, and we only have like a dozen runners signed up. We had a dozen last year. We had a dozen this year. And I can tell you that only a third of them have paid the entry fee. Okay. And, and the entry fee is like, you know, it's like $600 yep. and up and it's, it's a considerable discount compared to other 200 milers. But again, like, it's, it's pretty simple. If, if a runner gives back, like you come and volunteer, volunteer enough, like you will earn enough credits in, in a pretty short amount of time to be able to pay for a free race entry here at HPRS. And, and I think that more race directors could do that same thing. Right. Come and volunteer. I'll pay you by hour in race credits and you can turn those in for a discounted or a free race entry. Yeah. But and, but the and you should volunteer anyway because man, it is quite the experience when you get on the other side when you're not running a race and you're serving runners. That's a, it's an amazing thing. I think all ultra runners should at least volunteer for two races every year 
And there's, there's no better way to learn. No, there isn't. I have I'm, learned more volunteer. I learned more volunteering at Stories Ultra in 2020 than I have at any other race. Mm-hmm. And that was a sufferfest year with all the snow and as cold as it was and everything. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave. I, I ran, you know, the six hour that year. And then I, I had a eight hour volunteer thing and I stayed and worked pretty much most of the night. I went out and paced a couple runners on some stuff just to get them through the dark of the night. And I had a blast because that was more, more fun than I'd ever had actually running a race. So it was, it was a blast. And I think more people should get out and volunteer. Yeah, it's it's really important. But, you know, uh, on that topic, Mike, it's, you know, I think some of these race directors could really just think of your profit margin. If there's somebody who is in financial hardship or they're struggling, why can't I just say, you know what, just pay the cost? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't need to make money off of every single runner. And, and so the idea that it's up to you guys to make a scholarship fund to help pay for people's entries. Um, no, I think it's up to the race directors to one, stop price gouging people. Uh, and two, it's okay to be human. Uh, not every decision that you make is going to look, you give out 10 comp entries. That's not going to break you. Uh, you, you ask people to pay cost. That's not going to break you. Like there are ethical and moral things that you can do to help other people out that will, they're going to bring somebody else. (laughs) Yeah. That's why it's advertising. I mean, it's just good business. It's um, you know, and, and I've been kind of letting the cat out of the bag lately to my runners too, as it were, you know, uh, forgive my (laughs) whatever metaphor I want to use here. Um, you know, well, like your cats will probably say something about that. <laughs> I got one. I got in here with me. Um, <laughs> you know, it's um, we don't do refunds and we don't do deferrals. And you can only get a race credit up to a certain point. So if something happens and you can't race anymore, or you don't feel like racing or you're going to no show, you know, like whatever. If you can't yep. run. You're typically out the money that you've spent. And a lot of people have a hard time swallowing that they spent over a hundred dollars for a race and now they can't go. And, and I've really tried to open up more and explain to people, Hey, um, the easiest way to get, I'm not going to refund anybody, but I'll give you some credit. If you volunteer, Yep. if you're not going to run, come to the race and volunteer instead. And if you give me eight hours of your time, cause I always need volunteers. If you give me the eight hours of your time, I'm not only going to give you the deferral and not only am I going to give you the credit, but I'm also going to give you the credits earned through volunteering. So you're going to get to keep your entry and I'm giving you more money for another entry. For, for me, that's huge. It's look, if, if you invest in us, if you invest in this community and giving back and being a part of this, no matter what, I will reinvest in you. It seems pretty simple. It does. It does. There's some good race directors that are coming up here in the Tidewater area that really have their stuff together. There's a gal who started, it's just a training run during yeah, yeah. the pandemic. Hey, we're just doing a group run, just a bunch of people getting together. It is really growing. In fact, she's doing a weekend women's running retreat in 2022, which I think is just phenomenal. She would probably groove on what you're talking about as a race director and say, hey, you know, that makes a lot of sense. 
yeah, so here in Hampton Roads, I think in the ultra running community, there's a couple people that definitely would see eye to eye with you that I'd love to put them in contact with you. Well, I'd love to talk to them. I'm, I'm open to, to do whatever I can to help the sport be more inclusive and accessible. And, and I think that's a huge part of it is more of us race directors. We don't have to agree on everything. We don't have to have the same exact series between all of us, but we should at least be talking and, and talking about these things that, that makes sense that, that we all do and can do to help people. And, and so I'm, I'm of service to whoever. Awesome. I want to give you a chance to talk about all the offerings of human potential running series, because in my humble opinion, I think everybody should at least plan a once in a lifetime trip out to the West to go run an ultra marathon in God's country. Don't you? I do. And, um, if you're, if you're not ready to come all the way this far West, you can also land up in Arkansas and run with us there. Great. So talk a little bit about all the races that human potential has. And then I want you to pick your favorite race and the race that you would recommend everybody in the world come out and do at some point. Okay. Boy. Wow. What a tall order. Okay. Um, first here we go. We'll, we'll go through the calendar starting in February. Uh, we have the stories ultra marathon. It's in Colorado Springs. A unique timed event, 30 hours, 15 hours, and six hours. Timed events are awesome because it means that you get to run as many miles as you can or want within the allotted time. So if you sign up for the six hour, that really is the game. You run as many miles as you can or want to within the six hour time limit. And if you want to be done after four hours, you're not a DNF. That's whatever mileage you reached after four hours. That's your result. Timed events typically happen on like a track, a high school track, and you go round and round and round and round and round, and it's just monotonous. So what makes this event unique is that we have four different colored loops out of the state park, and you run them in order, red, green, blue, and purple. And each loop gets longer than the one before it and has more elevation gain and loss than the one before it. So as you go through the sequence of colors, each loop gets longer and more climby, I guess. So you do red, green, blue, and purple, and then you start back over and do red, green, blue, and purple again. And you keep doing this. And if you're in the six- sucks. So does, do, yeah, yeah. When, when you go through, when you go do purple, just, just know that it's going to suck and it's going to be painful. But when you're done, you get to do the easy one next. That's right. Yeah. And it's, and it's all designed again, as a, as a way to test you mentally and physically and, and to, to help you face and overcome adversity. And it's such a really great event. Um, one main aid station and we have such an awesome community there around that race. So uh, check that out. Uh, then we're in April. We have the Nightwatch challenge. It's the Barkley of the West uh, event that I've put on eight or nine years now. And it's exactly what I just said. It is. It's like the Barkley marathons. You're bushwhacking through the mountains, looking for literature hidden in the woods. <laughs> But you have to be able to know how to navigate a little bit, right? Yeah. Map and compass is important. Otherwise you're relying on your ability to ride somebody's coattails. Yeah, so so really people hard. like me, you, you, you would highly recommend that nobody follow me. Correct. Uh, correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I just put that one out. That was, that one's always the, the closest weekend of 420 on the calendar. Um, this is Colorado. So why the hell not? Uh, <laughs> 
Then in May, we have our other unique timed event. It used to be called the Tommyknocker 12 hour, but now it's called Endure. And it's in Divide, Colorado, which is in the mountains west of Colorado Springs. We have a 12 hour, a 24 hour and a half marathon. Um, the half marathon is a pretty standard half marathon. We have a route and you, and you go and you run the, run the route, but the 12 hour uh, it's, it's letting little balls decide your fate. We have four or five different colored loops out there. And then we have a bucket full of ping pong balls. And so you pull a ball out of the bucket and whatever color you get, that's the color loop that you run. Uh, then you come back in and you pull another ball and it continues for up to 12 hours. Um, we also have these black balls. And if you should pull a black ball, you end up having to do some ridiculous task that you can earn an override ticket by completing, which basically means, let's say I, I don't want to run yellow again and I pull the yellow ball later. You can turn in your override ticket and then pick whichever color you want instead. And then we have the 24 hour, which is new, which is I pulled the ball that the entire 24 hour field has to run together. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to stick together. It just means all of you are running that same color. And then I pull a second ball that is the slowest possible time you must complete that loop in. So it's, it's, it's kind of like mixing this concept together with Big's Backyard. And it's okay. a last, last man standing. Um, we did it last year. We had one finisher, one guy managed to make it to the end. And, and that's where we got the name Endure. Uh, how do you, how can, can you endure this? Whoever is left at the end of 24 hours, they are the finishers. Um, so you either finished or you did. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So really cool. Uh, then after that, we get into more traditional racing in June where we start our summer in fair play, Colorado, and we have the South park trail marathon and half marathon. And next year I'll be adding a 38 mile ultra to that one. Really awesome race starts at 10,000 feet above sea level. The marathon goes all the way up and the 38 hour, uh, 38 miles. Sorry. Uh, they'll go all the way up to about 13,000 feet. Wow. Uh, snow dependent. The, the half marathon stays around 10 K really good time. Awesome race. We always say that that's more our introductory race. Uh, if you're looking for more traditional trail run with us, that's, that's the one I would start with gives you a good introduction to trail and ultra running and, and running with us really, really cool event. In July, we have the Silver Heels 100 mile endurance run also in fair play. It uh, used to be the second highest hundred miler in North America. Now it's third. Uh, we got somebody that beat, beat us. Uh, somebody beat hard rock out <laughs> really <laughs> for a higher Where rate. That? Yeah. That's crazy. It's wow. also in Colorado and it's really like right next door, uh, to Silver Heels. It's, uh, I don't know. That's a different subject for a different day. Okay. But, I mean, it's a high race, uh, but we're adding uh, to the cutoff next year will be 38 hours uh, to complete that hundred miler. And if you don't want to run that far, we have the last call 50 mile and we're adding a 50 K to that next year. Uh, also in fair play that same weekend, the 50 miler has a midnight start. So you start at 12 in the morning after getting a shot of whiskey, if you would like. <laughs> Uh, the August race is the sheep mountain endurance runs. I have a 50 mile and a 50 K also in fair play that ends our summer up there. Um, just an awesome race. And honestly, that's the event, um, to answer your question about which one of my events, what I recommend everybody's got to get out here to run. Uh, that's the one and it's the 50 mile. 
uh, if, you're, if you're looking for like the ultimate challenge um, that I think everybody's capable of completing. If you train for it, prepare for it, take care of yourself, you know, do, do all the things right. If you're looking for a good challenge, a great day on the trails and a beautiful wild, wild setting, the Sheep Mountain 50 is, is the one. Awesome. Okay. September, I have the Sangre de Cristo Ultras. Uh, that's down in Westcliff, Colorado, a dark sky community. Uh, you'll see more stars down there than you've ever seen in your whole life. Um, we have a 200 mile, a 100 mile, a 100K, a 50 mile, a 50K, and a 27K. You can also take on the three-day challenge, which is the 50K, 50 mile Friday, 50K Saturday, 27K Sunday. Uh, that's our biggest event of the year. We get the most people all year to come down to the Sangres and join us at that race. October, we're in Sedalia, Colorado, which is close to the Denver metro area. We're right outside of Castle Rock for the Indian Creek 50s. We call it our fall classic. It has a 50-mile, 55K, and 15-mile. Awesome event. I love, I love being there for Indian Creek. It's so much fun. Uh, just, you know, it's like the second race I ever put on. So, uh, every year it's kind of like a homecoming and it's around my birthday weekend. So it's a cool better, celebration. Better. Yeah. I celebrate my birthday with, with my running family every year, which I, which I love. In November, we're in Arkansas for the Razorback running revival. Uh, it's a 50 mile, 55 K and 10 mile outside of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're at Lake Fort Smith state park. And it is on the Ozark Highlands Trail, which is one of the uh, scenic long distance trails in North America. Just a stunning course. Really beautiful. I ran the 50K myself last year and just had a ball. I loved it. Um, so that's where we are in, in, uh, in November. And in December, we have the Sawmill Trail Runs in Pine, Colorado, also just outside of the Denver metro area. We have a 50K, 16 mile and 8 mile at beautiful Staunton State Park. Uh, so, so that is our full calendar. We've got, um, you know, I, I was uh, for a brief time here this year, I'd picked up some races in California. <laughs> right. right. Um, so I had three events uh, down in the San Diego area in January, May, and October, but ultimately decided uh, that it would be best if my partner in that, who's Eric, Chrisman, if, if he would race direct those instead and take those on fully, because, um, man, he, he really loves that community and, and the, the people down there and he's run those races. He volunteered at those races. He doesn't need my help. And, and I really do love what I already have here at HPRS. So I, I've kind of moved on from the idea of California, which is okay. Sometimes, you know, uh, as you know, when you're in business, Mike, the more you assess, you know, decisions that you made or directions you're heading, you, you kind of take a step back and, and make sure you redirect yourself to stay on your focus. So, I, so I had to do that and it's not easy to do, but, uh, man, I, I love the offerings that we have and, and who we are and the people that are running here and volunteering with us. It's, it's a really great community and, uh, would really love to have more people come on out and find out what we're about. Awesome. So you, you skipped one though. You, oh, did you, I? I felt like I did. You, you did. You, you skipped the borough race. Oh, because that's not, I don't own that. <laughs> I know you don't, but you get the race directed. <laughs> yeah, this year I became the, uh, the newest race director of the World Championship Pack Borough Race, uh, which is essentially running with a borough. Uh, you got to stay with your donkey. 
up and down the mountain. And we have a 50 K the long course is just shy of a 50 K and the short course is a little more than a half marathon. And I think I'm, you know, this race has been going on for 75 years. The race director before me was the RD for over 30 years. Wow. And so, um, probably one of the highest honors and privileges of my life to be able to contribute to the sport of borough racing. And, uh, that happens in July, uh, end of July up in fair play associated with the borough days weekend. That sounds so much, that, that sounds like so much fun. Do you just spend the whole time during the race laughing at people trying to get their burrows to go where the burrows don't want to go? Yeah, you know, um, I'm very risk management focused when I race direct. Um, so when I get to put my guard down a little bit, uh, absolutely, I'm laughing the entire time. <laughs> I, I, I have just watched videos of it. I've never actually been to one in person, but I, I just, I, every time I see it, I'm just like, that is the best thing I've ever seen. And I just, I just laugh. I think they're awesome. So a lot of fun. So last question then I'm going to let you go. Cause I know you're a busy man. Sure. All right. So you have the opportunity to tell somebody who has never run an ultra marathon before what your top five tips to finish an ultra marathon would be. What would you say? What would you tell them? Who, you know, this goes back to when I first learned about ultra marathon running, I asked somebody, what does it take to be an ultra runner? And they gave me two things. One was you need to be stubborn. (laughs) There's no other way to say that. Uh, You need to be stubborn. The other was uh, you need to be able to put up with discomfort. And I think that if you want to be an ultra runner, all you have to accept is that at some point, just like running a marathon, it's going to hurt. Uh, It doesn't always feel good. Um, So uh, it's going to hurt, but you got to realize that it's not ever going to hurt more than it already does. I guess I don't know how else to say that, you know, like once you get to like marathon or same thing. Like when I've run a hundred miles, I've always told people like, yeah, I guess to a point where it really starts to hurt and it doesn't ever hurt more than that. It just hurts. So you got to accept it. Um, so really, I guess that those two things narrow it down to the, the point that ultra running really is a mindset. You know, you, uh, you run in the sport. Um, it's all about mindset, but you know, the more that you train, uh, the more that you learn, the more you become a student, the more that you give back, the more consistent that you are, the more comfortable that you'll be. That, that's really like, if you want it to hurt less, train more. Uh, you want to run faster, train more. You want to learn more, volunteer more. Um, so, so, you know, that's probably the most important things that I, that I would say to anybody who's looking to get into to ultra running is, you know, those are, those are the key takeaways. That's awesome, John. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your time. It has been so much fun talking with you. And I look forward to putting this out on living an ultra life and getting a lot of people more used to who John LaCroix is. No, Mike, thanks. Thanks so much for having me uh, on your podcast as your first guest. I I just want to throw out there that we need more of this uh, in the world. People uh, making positive things. We need more positivity. We need more encouragement. 
Uh, and, and that's really the reason why I reached out to you and I was like, Hey, when can I be on your show? Cause I want to be a part of that. Um, so thank you, uh, for, for what you do and, and for being a leader and, and showing people what leadership is in this way. It, it really is appreciated very much. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it. It's been awesome talking to you as usual. Thanks, man. That's it for this episode of Living an Alter Life. I hope you guys really enjoyed the interview. We'll be doing another interview next month with Karen Sanzo, who's the race director of It's Just a Training Run here in the Hampton Roads, Virginia area. And I'm sure you guys are going to love that. So looking forward to do that. And then we've got some other surprises coming up with some local runners in the next following months. So I'm really excited. Can't wait to do this. So very, very happy that you guys are listening. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. That's it for living an ultra life.